Hello, and welcome to the Would You Give Me a Stagehand podcast. I'm Toby Patan, and I'm a filmmaker based out of Boston, Massachusetts. In this show, I interview various professionals and colleagues in the entertainment industry and ask them for insights as to how they got where they are. I get them to share their experiences, struggles, and triumphs that comes along with being in the entertainment industry. Listen as I interview writers, directors, cinematographers, and entertainers in general, and pose the question, how far are you willing to go for a career in the entertainment industry? My first guest is Marge. They're a really good friend of mine, and they have a focus in screenwriting, directing, and cinematography. We first met in 2016 at a week-long film intensive in New York City, and since then we have collaborated on projects and become pretty good friends. I asked them about their experiences in film school as a first-generation student, as we have bonded over how difficult and complex this can be as children of immigrant parents. Thanks for listening. All right. First of all, thank you for being the first guest on my podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I'm very honored. <laughs> we could start off by just having you introducing yourself, like talking about what you do. Um, and yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my name's Marge. I'm currently a oncoming senior at NYU Tisch Film and TV. Um, I guess... I mean, like every person that's in film school, I want to be a writer, director, but I've had to look for backups because like not everyone's gonna, no one's really gonna ask you to do those things at my level, at least. So I'm looking to go into G&E more specifically as a a grip, maybe, I, I don't know. I wanted to work my way up to being a gaffer, but I tried being a gaffer on a couple of sets and it made me a little anxious so i think gripping is more my thing so there are many layers to this and i think that for you you offer an interesting perspective given that you're first generation and so that can kind of be complex when you kind of tell your parents you want to go to film school because i know for me like (laughs) my parents don't really know what that entails and for them it's like they were supportive of me like for sure but it was kind of just like blindly like accepting the fact that I wanted to do it and then like them being like oh you're passionate about it you'll find your way so it's just kind of like what has been your experience in terms of that like telling your like when did you realize you wanted to go to film school and like how did you like tell your parents like I'm not applying to like liberal arts schools I'm gonna go to film school I feel like I've definitely had a similar experience to you because, well, I mean, when I was younger, I wanted to be an anthropologist. And then I, uh, I watched Princess Mononoke, um, by Hayao Miyazaki. And it was like this very cathartic moment for me because it was on a snow day and I was just sitting in my dining room and nobody else was around. Um, I was just watching the snowfall while um, the protagonist, Ashitaka, runs across, or he doesn't run, he's on like his elk, his red elk, and it just gallops across this mountain and there's a swell of music. And ever since that point, I was like, oh my god, this is insane. Like, people, there's people that are making this and um, invoking these feelings uh, through their art. Um, and that's pretty much the moment. 
I decided to, I wanted to do this for a living and I wanted to tell my own stories as first generation. Actually, I think I I might be second generation. I'm not really sure. Um, But (laughs) like having moved from uh, America to China and then back to America and faced a lot of challenges and people and realizing my queer identity, I was like, oh, well, I think I have a lot of shit to say. Um, and that's when I decided to do it. Plus, I've always been into writing. So I, um, just, I just realized that people might like, people might be watching movies more than reading books these days. Um, sorry. (laughs) But as for my parents, uh, I come from a family that's very academic focused. My grandpa, was the vice president of Sun Yat-sen University. And um, my dad and mom are both, well, my dad's a professor and my mom's a doctor. And growing up, uh, I've always been surrounded by this academic headspace um, since like my entire life, they've both been going to school and uh, taking me to like Harvard and various campuses um, just STEM related stuff as well. So going into the arts is definitely not what they expected. I think, um, I remember when I was two, I like took apart a pen and my mom immediately, immediately was like, Oh, they're going to be a surgeon. Um, and ever since I was four, my parents worked at the Harvard labs or whatever as like grad research students. Um, and I decided I wanted to go to Harvard, who knows for what, but there's always been this expectation that, uh, I guess I'm, I'm not going to go into the arts because of how I was raised and, um, the places my parents brought me and stuff. But I don't know. I feel like I've never really been that interested in STEM. Um, I never liked math or, I mean, science is cool, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm getting off track, but no such thing. It's definitely been like a weird road of acceptance. And even now, I don't think that they're happy with the path that I'm going. Like my mom keeps telling me, um, I need to get a master's in like business or something, um, she's like, oh, I, we maybe we still have hope <laughs> that I'm not going to go into film. Um, but I think they just want to see results. And for now, there isn't anything concrete, at least on my end. I'm trying, but it's hard as a student to get anywhere. Yeah, that's why I'm starting this, because it's really hard to like be like, okay, yeah, I have this degree and nothing to show for it because a lot of the time like you're you spend a lot of the time working your way up and a lot of your time's networking before you can get to a place where you're like i'm being paid full time to have a, a career in the industry like there's a lot of work that goes in it before you actually like are established um but also i forgot to mention how we know each other oh which we we haven't we haven't talked about we met i would i think i think almost seven years ago at a film intensive in new york that's so just for the listeners we go way back um (laughs) 
by the way do you still have access to the like short that we had to create as a part of that program i don't think so i don't even remember all i remember is i made we made like this website about uh the gay community in new york and i was like the only gay person in the group yeah <laughs> but your guys is team one your guys team won the whole thing we did because of the representation <laughs> Well, okay, so yeah, let me explain. So basically, Marge and I did this program called New York... (laughs) New... (laughs) It was... I don't even know. It was like film journalism. (laughs) Yeah, it was called like Envision. Like, yeah, it was like digital journalism film intensive program for a week. The only reason why I did it is because... The school I was going to at the time, we had to take like standardized testing. I think it was the MCAS. And if you have like certain scores in certain parts of the MCAS, they like recommend you for certain programs. So I guess my like English section was really good. So they're like, oh, you might like this film program. So I don't know. It was pretty expensive. I didn't think my parents would care or want me to go, but they actually like were more invested in sending me than i was like they were like oh you should go to this and i was like okay if if you want to pay for it so i went and yeah it was basically like they split us into different groups and for some of the days we like worked on making websites some of the times we did audio we learned about cinematography we learned about um writing a little bit um i would say overall I learned a lot in that one-week program alone, especially, like, for someone who'd not really known anything about film, especially in an academic setting. Um, But yeah, they, um, the project I'm talking about is they gave us a scene breakdown, all with the same dialogue, because probably 20 lines of dialogue, and they had us all... You remember a lot about this. I, I do. I internalized it for sure. They made us all make, like, a short with all the same dialogue, and we just had to come up with an idea based on the dialogue. <laughs> and I, rem- I remember the short I made. It's it's on my website if you want to see it. Okay. I remember I didn't even know how to use a slate back then. So I didn't know you were supposed to slate before each cut. Um, and then we just didn't do the slate at all. And so all the audio was out of sync. And then when we went to go edit, I was like, I don't know how to do this. Um, and also the TA we had didn't tell us that that was something we had to do at all so i feel like ours was pretty shit i don't know we didn't get to see all of them we saw some of them um i vaguely remember the others but also we had to edit in a adobe i think which is like i feel like that's like one of the hardest ones to start with (laughs) especially for like people who've never really worked with that type stuff before now adobe has its own little language or whatever (laughs) Moving along from your background and how you got into film and stuff, I i don't know if you know this about me, but I am a film school reject. <laughs> oh. Can you guess what film school I got rejected from? Uh, is it NYU? It is. <laughs> and, I, and honestly, okay, I didn't, I didn't, I only applied to two film schools and I got rejected to in, from NYU and I got into the other one. Um. But part of me is kind of glad that I didn't end up going to film school because something that 
I assume is that film school is extremely competitive. Not even like just getting in, but like being a student and showing your work and learning. Like I think filmmaking in general, it's about how can you be a sponge? Like you're always learning, you're, you're soaking up information. Like even if you're not like in lighting, it's helpful to know how to light. If you don't know sound, it's like all those things are helpful. But I think, I don't know, maybe even more so now than four years ago whenever when I was applying to school, I think it's it's a lot about auteurship. Like, it's like, how can I be, like, really great instead of, like, or, like, coming in being really good? Like, that doesn't, it's like, it's like peaking. Like, nobody wants to start off really good because then you have nowhere to go. You can't get better. Although it's, like, objectively, like, you can tell when someone's really good at filmmaking, but it's also about, like, learning and you know, listening, like, people have tips and tricks to give you, like, soaking that up and soaking that all in. So part of the reason why I liked that I did, like, a film program was because I was still able to learn. Like, everyone, like, most people were novice at, like, filmmaking. So it felt like less pressure if you made a mistake or if you didn't do three-point lighting right or if you didn't sync up your sound. Like, so I want to kind of, like, know, like, did film school aid your growth or did it kind of stunt it given like its competitive cutthroat nature? I mean, I think it definitely did help um, because we're always being forced to work together and crew, everyone's always looking for crew. So just being in these classes where we have to make our own films, there's like intermediate and then advanced and advanced is like your thesis and intermediate is a class that it's sort of like in between the beginner stage and then like the thesis stage. So everyone's always making their own films and looking for people. And it's, I think it gives a good opportunity to try out roles that uh, you're not familiar with. And I mean, there are, kids that just immediately know they they want to go into lighting or camera and they're really good at it so that's what they stick to um but there's also the ability to work as an ac or a grip or uh, even a pa just to be on set and get used to the equipment and um what it's what it's like to have those uh days i will say like there's a lot of sets where I felt taken advantage of just because they're unpaid and it's kind of like, oh, it's like the experience. But um, in a way, it feels it does feel kind of fun, too, because we're all just learning together and it doesn't really feel competitive when you're there. Um, but it does when you're like in a classroom setting or on social media and everyone's just constantly posting their films and promoting things. Um, and I, I feel like I personally have a lot of imposter syndrome. Like, why am I here with so many talented people when I'm not producing something myself um, constantly? Or like, I have to constantly be working on set every single weekend or I'm a failure. Uh, in comparison to other people but it's not like a direct competitiveness I feel like no one's coming up to me and and being like oh look at all the the, the things I made like I'm so successful um it's more so just internal I feel like um 
And yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't like the level I'm at right now. Um, obviously, I, I want to work on more professional sets that have like set hours and pay um, because a lot of these student films are just paying us in food and sometimes they'll pay for your transportation. Um, but it is really cool when you land the one set where you get to learn a lot from the people involved. Like I remember my first time gripping and actually the set that got me to want to grip uh, overall. It was in this little cabin in Connecticut with no Wi-Fi and uh, it was hailing, it rained, it was like every single weather issue that could happen and I was running around on the outside of the cabin with the the gaffer and we were just trying not to um, let like the rain soak the lights and at one point we taped gels to this like uh, floppy like this flag and we just hung <laughs> we had to like uh, put it on a stand and put it over one of the lights just so the rain wouldn't like break it um, but that was like super fun and I loved being able to just work nonstop and um, have like actually feel like I'm working and benefiting the crew um, and yeah that's it I, I feel like has just, I don't know, it's like why I like doing film, you know, because it's collaborative, and I don't really like how competitive it can feel at times, um, especially with, like, I don't know, as a grip, I've worked with a lot of asshole gaffers, and they- Why is it always the gaffers? Like, gaffers always have attitude. It's the gaffers and the DPs, like, they're- and the ADs, they're all crazy. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like I've worked with pretty nice DPs. I don't know, maybe I'm generalizing. DPs, I feel like they can either be super chill or super not, because, like, the production's depending on them, and you can either have a stick up your ass about it, or, you know, like, whew, like, be zen. Um, but I've worked with a lot of uh, cis male gaffers specifically who have just like looked down on me and they think I can't do anything just because of the way that I present, um, which has been really frustrating. Um, I don't know if that's competitive or not, but that is like an issue in the film industry in general. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's definitely, I'd say like where I am now, like the little experience I have it's rare that the person directing is not a cis white male. I think I've worked with two directors who were women and they were great. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, it's few and far between. I mean, but that's good to hear. That's good to hear that it's not like excruciatingly like competitive at that level, especially because, you know, there people are really serious about that stuff and like... <laughs> It can also just like, I don't know, just like when you're something you're passionate about is like overly competitive, sometimes it could like make you not want to do it anymore. This kind of like 
is going off of what you were just talking about, but what has been your biggest film school eye roll moment that you've had as a student? Oh, God. Let me think for a second. Um, eye roll as in, like, oh, this is so annoying, or eye roll as in, like, this is fucked up. <laughs> eye roll as in, like, this wouldn't happen if I wasn't in film school. Like, this is, like, this is, like, a total, like, film school moment (laughs) like it can be even like people you encounter like ways people like oh god okay um i hope i don't get like canceled for this or anything but i'm actually so uh, there's this like house um in my school this this apartment that three film bros have and it's called content house like they named it that um they have like I don't know if they have a I think they might have a social media um and I went there one time um it was like this big group of friends we all went out and we went to this DJ set but we didn't like the DJ and so they were like oh there's something happening at content house I was like what the hell is that um so we went there and it's just this studio apartment it's not like very big it's probably the same size as this room that I'm in um and it's like the kitchen, and then the three guys, their beds are all in a little, in a row. Um, and on the walls are just like a bunch of film bro posters, like the Joker, whatever, Inglorious Bastards, I don't fucking know. Stuff like that. And they all live there? They all live there. They all sleep in this nice little row. Uh, and I went and I was talking to this guy that I knew from like Zoom school or whatever. And I think I mentioned that I liked Studio Ghibli one time and this like flock of film bros just come to me um, and they're like, Ghibli, Ghibli? Oh, I love, I love Ghibli. Uh, and I'm like 5'2". I'm very small. And they were all like at least 5'11 and above. So I was just looking up surrounded by this circle of film bros in like, I felt like a prey um, animal that was just like caught uh, and then I escaped and I found this guy who I knew from class and I feel like we're like friends just because we're both gay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, he was like, oh, I'm running the bar here. Do you want anything? And I look at the bar and it's this little circular table with a bunch of alcohol on it. I'm like, okay, sure. Pour me a drink, whatever. And then he just goes, sorry, Bars closed, but if you come to another content house function, um, I'll make something for you. And I was just like, what the hell? Where am I? Um, but apparently, like, they have really big functions now, and uh, I guess they're successful in whatever they're doing. One of the guys, like, made a documentary about it. About the content bros? Yeah, one of the content bros. I met one of them because um, I just studied abroad in London and he was in my class. And he was actually very nice, which I was surprised about. <laughs> but um, Wait, one of the content bros was in your class in London? Yeah, he was in London. Oh my god, that's crazy. I don't know. I, I feel bad now, but at the time I was just... I feel bad just because I know this guy. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I, I guess they're they're... It's cute, whatever. I don't... It was a little cringy, but... Yeah, I mean, apparently they have an Instagram. <laughs> they, I think they do. So, if you if you ever want to... If you want to follow content bros, 
at content underscore bros. I don't know their handle. <laughs> they have functions. It's at content underscore bros. Did you find it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is it because it only has 82 followers. <laughs> yeah, giving them, giving them promo. Oh, wait, then there's another called the content bros that has more followers i don't know but we could probably confirm it's content house cinema oh okay yeah follow them at content house cinema content house cinema Well, you, you just mentioned studying abroad in London. How was that? Can you talk a little bit about your experience, what program you went with, what did it entail? Okay, so I low-key went because I had... Oh, no. I can't say that. <laughs> I had I had this roommate last semester, um, and we were staying together in a very small room, uh, and it was not enjoyable for me personally, because I feel like he was going through a lot, and I just... I, it was awkward for me. Um, so I was like, oh, study abroad, that's an option. Um, and I saw that NYU has this screenwriting program uh, in London. And in my head, I was like, oh, it's so great, because London's kind of known for theater and writing or whatever. And maybe it'll be nice to just get away for a bit. Um, and yeah, I was I was getting a little claustrophobic in New York as well and so that's why I chose to do that obviously I'm thankful to have the privilege to study abroad in the first place um but yeah it was like uh how long was it four month program uh at NYU London because we have a campus there and it's in this like little building that's very 18th century or yeah 18th century and it's like every doorway you go through it leads to a different room it's kind of scary that is kind of scary yeah that's that's giving like ex machina vibes (laughs) it's like it's it felt like it was definitely haunted um i wouldn't be surprised actually because some of the doors there will just close by themselves and yeah um, but London was, London was nice. I feel like I enjoyed it. British people are a little scary and they really don't know how to walk. That was the one thing I had to get used to that really pissed me off because they would just crowd on the sidewalk and walk at like a snail's pace and they won't move for you. So you have to kind of like squeeze between them. Also, there's no, uh, right of way for pedestrians there so when you're crossing the street the cars will they just don't care they'll come straight at you um and the food they don't have preservatives in them which is good i guess but <laughs> but you're just eating beans on toast <laughs> and sausage <laughs> everything i bought just like went bad so fast which pissed me off oh never thought about that yeah and it's like they don't they also don't refrigerate their eggs that's so bizarre i don't know why like but it seems to be fine maybe it's the preservatives i don't know i don't know how they work um yeah i i just like i wish that my school did more of a 
what's it called, like an immersive thing with the the British people because we like didn't have any outreach programs and um, I was just kind of stuck with the same five people uh, or not the same five people, like the same the same group of people. We were all Americans, so it wasn't like we were. I don't know, meeting anybody from the, the, the British lands or anything. Um, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was cool to like experience the arts and the theater scene and they have some really cool pubs there. Uh, the drinking culture is awesome and I didn't realize that I liked drinking so much until I went there. Um, and oh, also, okay, I should talk about my program. No, I, I was going to ask, like, actually, I was going to ask you if you were there when the queen died, because I feel like that. No, I wasn't, but I was there when the king was coordinated. Cor- coordinated? Coronated? Oh, word. Yeah, but I I didn't go to that area at all just because I don't want to deal with the crowd. It was it was pretty it was a pretty uneventful day for me actually. I slept the whole morning and then I think I went somewhere at night, but <laughs> yeah. And they had like British flags everywhere the week leading up to it, and they had these little things called like coronation cakes that they would just sell at every store. That sounds really good. I didn't eat one, but yeah, I guess it was a big thing. Um, but a lot of, like, the young British people do not stand the king. Of course, yeah. They were like, fuck the monarchy, so... In America, it's fuck the patriarchy, but in Britain, it's fuck the monarchy. <laughs> um, but yeah, talk about your program. What was that, like, what was, like, an average day for you? It was uh, interesting. It was less engaging than I expected uh, because it was a feature writing program so we would just at first we wrote uh, three page outlines and then six page outlines and then nine page outlines and we were this small class of 12 so we got split up into two recitation groups of six and then we would just read over each other's uh, outlines and scripts when we started writing the scripts um, and give critiques you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, but then once we got into the actual script writing, I think it was past like 20 pages, we stopped having class and the professor was kind of just like, okay, you guys go off and just do whatever you want and just, just go off and write your scripts. But there was like a 90 page limit. So we had to get to 90 at the end. Uh, I don't remember. I think the deadline was like April 20th. No. April 16th, Um, and then, or maybe it was March, I don't remember, there was like some deadline, and then once we finished our features, uh, we had to select a part of it to be read by the actors at uh, NYU's acting program in London, Um, which I I feel like the acting program is pretty cool, they have a joint thing going on with the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, and um, Apparently, it's a big deal in the acting world. So um, we had to cast the actors from there. But it wasn't like a big pool of actors. I think it was like, maybe there were like 15 of them. Um, Some of them were from BU, actually. There were three BU students there. And then we just worked with them through rehearsals. And then we had a reading at this place called the Bush Theater, which was pretty cool, but I was very sleep deprived and also coming out of like 
a depression hole. So my energy during the reading was not that good. But yeah, it was it was cool to see my work be read aloud and uh, see like because I only heard about the concepts of the other six screenwriters. So it was cool to see, act, like actually see parts of their scripts come to life. Um, yeah. So were you kind of like, were the other students in your class like British or were they just the other NYU students who had also? They were all American. They were all American. Okay. Because <laughs> I wonder what the invi- I wonder what the approach to film is in in the UK and in Europe because I feel like at least from my perspective in the US we're very much going through this like indie wave like I watched this like eight minute video about A24 yesterday like how they kind of just blew up out of nowhere when like Spring Breakers came out like before Spring Breakers like not a lot of people knew who what A24 was like they used to just like distribute films but now they like produce their own films and they produce that show beef on netflix as well and it was just kind of talking about how um how they've become so successfully in terms of marketing because they market mostly word of mouth and like social media and that's that's how they save a lot of money by being an indie company but they like make up for it by doing all the marketing themselves so i don't know i feel like if like you ask somebody on the street, like, name a production company, they'd be like, A24. <laughs> like, But I wonder, like, what it's like in the UK, where it's like, I don't know, is the focus on indie, is it more focused on, like, mainstream films, like, Marvel and shit like that? Or, I mean, I don't know, I'm not very well versed in terms of, like... I don't know. I feel like the UK has its own thing going on. <laughs> um, like, when I was there, I saw ads for movies i've never seen before there was one with i can't pronounce her last name freema freema she played martha in doctor who and she has this film with lily allen where they're like on the beach in brighton or something and i kept seeing ads for that i was like oh that seems interesting freema a guyman adjerman yeah oh interesting is it laughing by the sea in the yeah i think so but i mean according to my professor at least with like the screenwriters they don't have the same strike right the writers guilt here i was talking to him about it and he was like yeah the british writers would not have the guts to strike (laughs) which is interesting because British people love to strike. <laughs> when I was there, the trains... Okay, the trains were so annoying, first of all. Like, they were clean. I appreciate that um, in comparison to New York. But they were always striking, always delayed. There was always something happening. Like, one time, I think one of them was derailed for some reason, and they only have, like, six lines. So if you're... Uh, if you have to get somewhere, you're basically screwed or you have to take the long way, which was frustrating, but yeah. Six lines in like all of London? I think so. Wow, that's wild. I was going to say something, but then I forgot what it was. <laughs> 
Oh, I remember what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about the strike and your reaction to it and how that makes you feel as somebody who wants to be a writer-director, knowing that the industry is so fickle and cruel to writers and directors that huge corporations are trying to, like... I don't know. From my pers- from what I've heard, like the little research I've done on the strike, it's happening because basically writers are frustrated because they one they usually never go to set the whole time they're writing on a project so that they don't have that like necessary experience to like learn and grow in that way and like feel connected with their actual work and two they're basically like creating mini rooms instead of like a writer being employed for like six months or six months to a year on a show they're like only employed for like a couple months meaning that they have to find multiple different writers rooms across a long period of time just to sustain themselves and that sounds really frustrating like the other day I was just like I would love to be a writer but like if that was the industry I was like going straight into like knowing that that's what I would be up against it would it sounds really frustrating so um yeah what what's been your response to the strike and like how does how does that make you feel like knowing that the industry is specifically the entertainment industry film industry is so messed up in that way i think i'm surprised at how little rights writers have also my research just comes from drew gooden's youtube video about it i didn't realize he was a writer i don't think he does but he like made a video um it sucks and it's sad that film is so corporate i mean i feel like i've known that but um to see the repercussions of it has been surprising because of how little writers are paid like they're not like actors where every time the project is distributed they get like a cut of how much residuals yeah they don't get paid at all which is crazy because like that's the whole concept of whatever show that they're making um but i feel like another thing that this is a little unrelated but another thing that has kind of affected me and jaded me about the industry is like my so i have this favorite show it's called the owl house and it was on uh, Disney Channel, and the- I see your posts about it. <laughs> yeah, I love Owl House. Um, but out of nowhere, like the network just decided to cut the third season down to three, uh, forty to fifty minute episodes instead of like a continued uh, third season with twenty twenty minute episodes, um, which really fucked up the writing and just the production of. The show and I feel like the the showrunners they tried their best to work with what they had um but watching it like the finale just aired last month and it does feel kind of rushed and it just it sucks because I think uh, um, the main reason they did that was because um the creator was really pushing for a queer representation and they had that and uh, now it's very visible because the main relationship in that show is between two girls and um, it's very explicitly stated. There's like non-binary characters. There's a bunch of other gay couples. It's, it's cute. It's what, yeah. Um, But 
seeing how Disney really uh, just just tried their best to get rid of it was disheartening, and how the writers were treated alongside the the strike it just really it brings into perspective like they don't really care about us they just want to make money um yeah i guess that's why i mean i love writing but i don't have to do it as a career because it's not super viable at least at this point i think the strike is working though from what i've last heard so maybe who knows who knows it's been going on for a while yeah what has been your biggest triumph in your career as a filmmaker? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I have yet to be where I want to be, so... You haven't even graduated, though, yet. You still have so, so much time. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, I think, like, I've really enjoyed making my own work above all and last semester i worked really hard on this uh two minute animation to kim petra's demons um and i still have to edit it in adobe after effects but i would i was like spending every single day in the fucking editing lab and it was so tedious but it was my first time animating something and I've always liked drawing. I don't want to go into animation though, because that's another issue because animators are not treated very well. Mm-hmm. I just like worked really hard on that and delivered the finished product, even though it still needs some work, but I was really proud of that. And just being able to write and create your own things and come out with an actual finished product is really rewarding. So I guess that, um, and also uh, my sophomore year, I worked with uh, this like very small crew of three other people in our science sound filmmaking class, which is the beginner level, and then it's intermediate, and then the thesis thing. But um, they, we just like would work on our little films, and it was super fun to be able to, like I said, have that finished thing to look at, and um yeah, I'm going to make my intermediate film this summer, so maybe that will be my greatest accomplishment for now, but it's still in the scripting stage currently. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Um, what's what what's the genre? What's uh, what's the plot? Um, that's a good good question. <laughs> uh, for now, right currently, it's about this uh trans mask kid who has to go home to take care of his grandma um who's like being uh what's the word like at home at home care or whatever she's she's staying at like uh, not like hospice but yeah it's it's not hospice but it's like she's old and she has she can't take care of herself so um but the parents are going back to china to um manage her estate and stuff so he's coming back to his childhood home to take care of her for like a week and um i have it because i came up with the title first and i thought it sounded really cool and it's like shenyun won't save you oh like the shenyun dancers yeah oh my god i love that title 
a cult thing that they follow. I heard that. I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> it would be interesting if his grandma was in this cult, um, which is against like homosexuality and same-sex marriage, stuff like that. Um, so I was like, this grandma is not going to like that her grandkid is trans. Some conflicts there. And... But they end up finding some type of relatability and they start doing weird shit together. Like, I had that the kid, like, pushes his grandma. Like, the kid's with her, but they're, like, running down a hill together with the wheelchair. (laughs) Or, like, they, uh, they (laughs) cut, dye each other's hair. I don't know. Something like that. But it's, the script is getting a little out of my control right now. I don't really know how to condense everything I want into 10 minutes or less. Right, that's well, that's the thing with script writing. Like it goes through so many drafts and so many iterations and like things get cut and things get added and like it's it's a process. Like that <laughs> that like script I basically like forced you to help me write. So it's like, oh, you definitely have the technique, like, you know how to write scripts and stuff like that. But, like, I, like, even though, like, I wrote it to submit to a program I didn't get into, but I still like the script and I want to, like, develop it into something. Like, the goal is to, like, make it into a short eventually, but also I feel like maybe it could be a feature. Like, who knows? Like, that's the thing with, like, writing. Um, But even, like, just getting those 15 pages was... A little bit of a struggle like let alone like what you said having to write like 90 pages for that um class you took abroad it sounds rough yeah and i i've never taken actually wrote 123 pages that's like a two hour film that's wild for me it's always easiest to write the beginning and it's actually really easy to write the beginning um but then when you actually get into it especially like after the midpoint and then you have to kind of scramble to tie all of the loose ends together into like some rewarding resolution uh it's difficult and I feel like when I was writing that feature I had a lot of moments where I just couldn't write anymore and I didn't know where the story was going um just having very intense writer's block and for this this short, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know where I want to go with this. Because <laughs> also the issue is I'm taking an experimental class um, this summer where I want where I'm going to be producing this. But for now, my concept oh, is more narrative, and I'm like, I don't know. I want to make it surreal, but I'm not sure how to blend the two elements where it's like weird but realistic, you know. If you were to take, like, two or three films that already exist and, like, say it's, like, this meet your film is, like, this film meets this film, like, what would the films be? I'm getting, I'm getting Minari vibes. I don't know if you've ever seen Minari. Oh, okay. I haven't, I haven't seen Minari. Would recommend. It's a very good film. I'm thinking, like, Taste, Taste of Tay, Taste of Tay, is that how you pronounce it? It's like this Japanese film about a family that moves to the countryside and there's like a lot of surrealist imagery, I guess. Taste of Tea meets probably uh, uh, The Farewell because there's a grandma. (laughs) 
that that I mean that sounds amazing. Like I'm very interested to see where that goes, especially because it kind of seems like there are some like buddy, not like buddy cop, but like it's kind of that comedic element. And that's a, that's another issue because I've realized that I like writing comedy um, with my feature because it was it was mostly comedic before this. All I wrote was drama. It was all like Asian trans queer drama. Write what you know. That's true, but I was like, I'm sick of this. I don't want to write sad shit. I don't want to like. I don't care about being Chinese anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many Chinese movies that are out there right now that like I'm just like. Everything I want to write has already been done, especially when Everything Everywhere All at Once came out. I've seen it like 18 times at this point. I'm not even kidding. Oh my god. I've seen it twice. It's basically like my, what's the word? It would be my like life's work to create something like that. And it's already been done. But oh yeah, so, so then I was like, okay what else can I do? And then I just made a film or made the script about like the queer community and, and you know, whatever. Um, and then I was like, I enjoy writing comedy more than drama because I mean, there's drama in comedy too. Um, but it's just more fun to make light of things that have hurt you or things that you've been through. Cause I think there's an inherent, there's inherent humor in darkness, which is why so much dark comedy is, like, popular. But, yeah, I wanted it to be funny, but I don't know how to make it funny. Like, grandmas are scary. <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I feel like I tend to lean towards comedy as well. Like, especially, like, I feel like something... I'm trying to train myself to just, like write down the simple things that happen to me that are just so funny like objectively like if like most of the time things that I forget have even happened to me but like I'll just write them down and like like know that from an outsider's perspective that shit is hilarious like it's so funny but um, yeah but I mean it it is hard to like develop a comedic sense of style and like not be cheesy because I feel like I have like so many comedic influences like comedians I love comedians whose work I've followed for years and years and years and yet it it's hard to get that to translate into a script especially when there's so many parts like that needs to be added to a script before it's the final product but but do you have any comedic influences that you're like leaning upon as you write the script or I guess I don't know. I not necessarily like comedians, but I I really like shows like Always Sunny and BoJack Horseman and Parks and Rec that type of stuff. Like I don't I guess they're all pretty different, but it's not like I'm I feel like I'm not really drawing from one source. I guess it's more so inspiration from comedic things that have happened to me. Um, or, like, the possibility of, like, oh, what if, if I'm imagining me and my grandma, what if we just, like, you know, lit a little, you know? (laughs) 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 
I'm kind of glad so my mom's out there. <laughs> that'd be that'd be an interesting thing to yeah, do and see. Um, but also, I don't know if I could put that in my film because I do want to have something I can show my mom. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, you make a good point. Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. My my professor when I was telling him I was nervous about my comedic writing, he was like, "Oh, well, it's just about putting your characters in these scenarios and seeing what happens." And I feel like that's that's how comedy comes across in real life too because you never expect to be in like a humorous situation and sometimes like like for example, um this one time I was walking home at like 4 a.m. and uh, this guy stops me in the street and he he's just like, he's like, I just landed from LA. Like, do you want to hang out? Where did you come from? Um, and I was like, I, my night is over, buddy. I am going home. I'm going to bed. I'm on many drugs right now. I can't talk to you. <laughs> Wait, was this in New York or Pennsylvania? Yeah, it was in New York. Uh, it, was, it was not in Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. And, <laughs> and then he was like, oh, but you're so beautiful. Like, w- let's go somewhere. Where do you usually go? And I was like, oh, I went. I was in Brooklyn. But if you're into gay, cl- gay clubs or, like, gay bars, the West Village is right there. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> Just walk down the street. Yeah, I want to go where you went. And he started following me, um, so I had to run home, which was scary, but now when I look back on it, I think I'm coping in a way with, with humor, but I'm like, it's really funny that he just kept being like, I'm from LA, I'm from LA, like, do you want to hang out? Um, yeah, so it, it's like putting our characters in scenarios. I think that's been my philosophy, just seeing how far I can take something or like how weird something can get based on the setup of it It, you were your own character in your own scenario (laughs) do you ever just like like i don't know if this is like a filmmaker brain thing or like do you ever just like witness yourself experiencing something but like from an out-of-body perspective and you're just like you just like imagine like all the cameras and like you just know like (laughs) What what would have been the uh, shot breakdown of that interaction? It'd be like uh, two shot over the over the shoulder, <laughs> over the shoulder of man, over the shoulder of me, and then like tracking as I run. <laughs> he would have like a little vlogging camera and like I don't know I don't know what someone from LA wears like stealth wealth <laughs> t-shirt and cargo shorts. No, but that's hilarious. I was going to ask about work you're most proud of, but that's kind of, you You talked about that with the last project you just mentioned, the thing you animated. By the way, is there a way for people to watch your work? Oh, yeah, I have a website. It's, uh, it's like googlesites.com. <laughs> my Instagram is mock.com. You can follow me there, and my site is sites.google.com slash view slash mock.com. Yes, <laughs> I need to actually get a URL, but I'm—I that's like not my—I have not been thinking about that at all. All right. Um, so I want to have one question I ask all of my guests at the end of my 
episodes, and it is, um, when people think of your art, what do you want them to think? This is weird, <laughs> but I can get into it. Go for it. No, that's what I want them to think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is weird, but I can get into it. Okay, I like that, I like that. Actually, what one of the actors that read my script said. Um, he's this very judgmental guy from BU, first of all. Like, he's a white gay guy. <laughs> uh, apparently, he's, he was walking uh, to like this co- coffee shop with this other actor, and she told me this. And he was just like, at first, I was like, this is really weird. I don't really get it. But then the more I knew, the more I learned about the concept and like what the characters were about, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like, this is actually pretty cool. And I felt very good about that because he was very judgmental to everybody's scripts, but he liked mine. So I'm just going to take that point for my ego. You should. You should. And I feel like, I feel like with at least the work of yours that I've read, I've definitely have that have had that feeling (laughs) like this is very weird but i could get into it i could get into it it's like okay good i just i'm just i'm just weird you know i don't i don't like to i'm not like other girls (laughs) (laughs) you're not like other thems yeah i'm not like other they thems (laughs) (laughs) and would you look at that one episode of would you give me a stage hand down the hatch Special thanks to Cash O'Brien for making the intro, outro, and transition sounds for the podcast, and to Marge Zhang for being my first guest. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.